Well, we're going to start a new series today. Uh, we have been going through a series where we talked about how we were saved from some things in order to be saved into some other things. And today I wanted to take the next three weeks to, to think about God. We're at church, so it's a good time to think about God. But, uh, right? Yeah, okay. Um, you know, the, the challenge with, with being a Christian, one of the challenges with being a Christian is becoming familiar with God. I don't mean becoming intimate with God. I mean beginning to treat him as a, a common thing of domesticating God. Uh, we're in danger constantly of making him manageable, of, of learning enough about God in order to, to put him in a category so that we can say, okay, I understand who God is. And, and God is understandable in the sense that he, he has revealed himself to us in order that we might know him. But that does not mean that we know everything about him. Nor does it mean that we can contain all, that who, all of who he is. Um, the, the God of the Bible, though loving and kind and patient and caring, is not one to manage. C.S. Lewis, when he wrote The Lion and the Witch of the Wardrobe, uh, one of the books in the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, he, it's, it's, a, it's an allegory for, for Christ and, and his kingdom. And you have this character, Aslan, who is an, a, this huge, powerful lion. And I believe it's Lucy who, who kind of refers to him as, is he, is he safe? Is he tame? And the response is, oh, he's, he's a good lion, but he's not tame. He's a good lion, but he's not tame. And that is our God. He's a good God, but he's not ours to control. And in fact, it's our responsibility to, to bend to him and to respond to him. So my hope and my desire is that as we engage with the word over the next three weeks, that, that our eyes would be drawn up, that our hearts would be drawn up, that we would see not only the, the kindness of God, the patience of God, the goodness of God, but that we would see the greatness of God. And in seeing the greatness of God, that, that we would be bent toward him and that we'd be drawn up to worship him. So we're going to read out of Genesis, if you'll get your Bibles out. Genesis, first book of the Bible. And we're going to read just the first verse. And uh, whether you've been in church or not, you've likely heard this before. So if you could stand with me, we're going to read the Word of God together. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the Word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you as your children but we also humble ourselves as your creation. And God, we, we recognize from your word that you are great, that you are mighty, that you're, you're not only great in terms of gradations of less great and more great, but you're in a category all your own. That your holiness means that you are different from us. And part of that difference is your greatness. And God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see how great you are. That we would be able to say with this, the, the writers, how great is our God. 
That as we reflect on, on just the aspects of creation that we can even wrap our minds around, that we would begin to become overwhelmed by your greatness. God, I pray that you would help us to repent of familiarity, of a casual attitude toward you. And Lord, I pray that you would stir up in our hearts a recognition of the fact that you are holy, that you are other, that you are outside your creation. Not that you're uh, unapproachable or you're aloof, but there's a reverence that we come to you with. And God, I thank you that that reverence is not something that, that limits our relationship, but it defines and it gives rise to that relationship. God, I thank you that you give us relationship because you are holy. That you've made a way to express your glory in salvation. That it was your desire to crush your son in order that we might come close to you with your holiness unhindered, unmarred, remaining intact. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move here, that you would speak to us by your word, that even in these few words, we would see the magnitude of your greatness, that we would be drawn up to worship. God, would you quicken our hearts? Would you warm our hearts? Would you draw us up to worship you? And in worshiping you, to be fulfilled with our greatest purpose. Bless this people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Just a few words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But this is impressively significant. And if you were to go to any number of commentaries, you would find out that one verse can elicit a great deal of conversation. Some of that conversation I found to be kind of ridiculous, and we're not going to go into all of that. Um, but if you wanted to have a talk after the fact, we can. But I wanted us to, to look at this, because what, what Genesis 1-1 is, it's the beginning of the story. And you might say to yourself, what story, Pastor Eddie? And I would say all of them. Pick a story. This is the beginning. This is the beginning of all good stories. Uh, it's the beginning of all things. It's the beginning of time. It's the beginning of space. It's the beginning of creation as we know it. it. The only thing that this is not the beginning of is God. And sometimes when we look at Genesis, you know, I, I, I've joked about the, the Old Testament as I read through the Bible every day. In my, I don't read through the whole Bible every day. I read like a chapter or two, maybe three or four every day. I would encourage you to do the same. But as I read through the Old Testament, sometimes you can start out in the beginning and really say, well, this is, there's no application for my life. What does this have to do with my life? And so I just want to put this out there that this matters because uh, this story is relevant to your life. Um, I don't have to make Genesis relevant because it it is relevant. Uh, Whether we want to acknowledge it as such it is important for us to understand this story. 
And if you were to continue to go, this is the origin story of humanity. This is the origin story of, of our glory, of, of being made in the image of God, of our purpose to be in relationship with God, to reflect God's glory and his dominion on all the earth. We begin to see in Genesis who we were made to be, and at the same time, what went wrong. And, and that has direct implication for your life, because between Genesis and now, the makeup of humanity has not changed. And so your problems, your issues, your concerns, your hopes and dreams, like it or not, are tied up in what happens in this story. This story matters for us. Do you want to know what you were created for? Do you have a, this angst in your soul? I wish I knew, you know, I see some young people, what I should major in. What should I do with my life? Some of you are like, I'm... Not young, but I still am trying to figure that out. And that's fine. And, and this may not lay out, oh, well, you should go to Virginia Tech and be an engineer, or you should go to UVA and, and do theater. But, but it lays out the fact that at our core, we are made to worship. That, that if you want to be satisfied, it, it's only going to come in, in terms of glorifying our God. If you want to know who created you, you need to read the Bible. If you want to know where you came from, you need to read the Bible. Do you want to know why the world is the way it is? I mean, if you open up the news, or I, no one opens up the news anymore. If you open up the news. We don't even open up the news like this. Some of you are tracking. Some of you don't know what a, a remote control is. Um, this is a newspaper. It's, this is the official. Anyways, it's not. Um, but if you want to know why the world is the way it is, Read the Bible. This, this is the beginning of our story. And so I wanted to think about, you know, all those important questions that your language arts teacher asked you. Who, what, when, where, why. I left out how, but because he doesn't really say, he just does it. Um, but who, what, when, where, and how, we're gonna, or why. And we're going to look at those questions, and then I, I want to draw out some implications for our life. So stick with me as we look at this one sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We'll start with when. When does this start? It starts in the beginning. This is the origin story of origin stories. Um, again, it's the beginning of all time. It's the beginning of all situations. It's the beginning of all creation. This is the beginning. This is not the beginning of... of uh, this particular season in the life of Moses and the Israelites. Moses is the writer. He writes to the Israelites. He's not saying, in the beginning of our time together, in the beginning of this discussion, in the beginning of Genesis. No, he is literally saying, in the, and if we could, I would italicize that, the beginning. In the beginning, when, who? In the beginning, God. The interesting thing about the Bible is it, 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 it assumes God. And, and if we're honest with ourselves, reality assumes God. Even those who don't believe in God are called atheists. We have, to term, we have to define it in terms of the negative. Those who don't believe in what? God. Because the, the reality of God is self-evident. Now, Romans tells us, Paul tells us that, that we like to suppress the truth and ignore the truth, but the truth still comes out that 
God exists. Not only this, but he existed in the beginning. And this is not just any God, every God, we're all friends, let's coexist, let's get your bumper sticker and we'll be buddies. No, there's a very specific God to whom Moses is referring. The word here, if you want to impress your friends and neighbors, is Elohim. And it's the word that is referred to as God. Now, if it were just Elohim and there weren't some sort of way of connecting it, you might be able to wiggle your way around saying, we're not really sure, maybe this God includes some other um, nations and religions. But this is the same Elohim of, of Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, when it says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And that phrase there, Lord God, is Yahweh Elohim. So in the beginning, Elohim, which Elohim? Yahweh Elohim created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, the same God who is later going to create a covenant with Moses, who's going to call Abraham out of idolatry and bring him and give him a promise, the same God who establishes David to whom so many of the, songs, the Psalms are written, the Lord, the Lord, who in the New Testament in Jesus Christ is Yahweh, God with us, this God is the one who was in the beginning. Here in the beginning, before anything's been created, God is. I don't know what that looks like. I don't think there's a way for us to know what that looks like. But before the galaxies, upon galaxies were created, God is. Before stars upon stars, God is. Have you ever just gone out in the country and you've actually been able to see the stars? Uh, I, I recently, I, I visited North Carolina, and there are plenty of places in North Carolina where that exists, where there's no stuff. It's just land. And you could see the, the moon and the stars. And in their greatness, in their awesomeness, before that, God was. Before the earth was formed, before the moon was created, God is. Before plants or animals or rocks or water oceans, God is. Before Monday morning and your issues at work, God is. Before your fight with your spouse, before your anxiety about the future, God is. I hope that you're beginning to feel the impact of this. So much of our life here and now is so defined by our myopic view of our circumstances. And I don't say that critically. I say that because that's, that's the reality that we're constantly being invited into. Of man, my life is hard. My world is hard. Things are difficult. But all the while, God is. And, and, and again, who is this God but the God who saves, the God who creates, the God who overcomes the God who empowers. Who is this God? It's the triune God. You've already seen that God the Father is here in the beginning God. But if we were to flip over to John chapter 1, you, you probably heard this section read out loud. In the beginning was the Word. Now, in, in the Old Testament, there's the Hebrew version. And then there was what's called the Septuagint, and it was the Greek version. It, they, take, they took the, the Hebrew Bible and they translated it into Greek. And this 
phrasing in the beginning was the word, if you were to look at the, the Greek of John and the Greek of the Septuagint, they're basically the same. And so John is trying to draw from Genesis and, and point to the fact that the same God who was there is the God that I'm speaking about now. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That was John's way of saying that Jesus was there in the beginning with God, also being divine, participating in the the being of God. Two persons so far, one God, and that things were created in and through Jesus, who was thus not created. Are we tracking? Okay. Then it goes on to verse 14, if you're wondering how I went from the word to the word becoming Jesus, or the word being identified as Jesus, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So this is Jesus. And if we were to flip over to Colossians, which we spent a great deal of time in uh, this summer, it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, talking about Jesus. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus was there in the beginning. Jesus was creating. In Hebrews chapter 9, we see not as explicit of a reference, but we do see a reference to the Holy Spirit also being present. It says in Hebrews, if I can get there, chapter 9, verse 14, speaking of the Holy Spirit, um, I'll start in verse 11. But when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, talking about his body, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats or calves, but by means of his own blood. It's, it's saying that that. Jesus Christ served as the high priest, sacrificing his own body. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctify the purification of the flesh. In other words, if the Old Testament Testament way of, of sanctification was effective, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself, how much more will it purify our conscience? from dead works to serve the living God. I read all of that so that you could hear the phrase, the eternal spirit. So we have at the beginning, outside of time, therefore in eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit at work preparing to create. This is our God, and this is what he is doing. What is he doing? He's creating the heavens and the earth. The writer tells us that God created the heavens and the earth. One commentator describes this as God creating all matter out of nothing. Again, if you want to impress your friends, he's creating ex nihilo. That's Latin. Ex means from. Nihilo means nothing from nothing. It's actually not that impressive. But you don't have to explain it. You can just say it. God is creating from nothing. Before creation, nothing exists before God. And after creation, creation exists and is dependent upon God. Everything and everywhere is created. 
Now, this, this creation, it's not just like, like moving things around to create something awesome. Like, I like Legos. Legos are neat. You can create all kinds of cool stuff with them. Um, my son had a birthday recently, and, and he's got, it's called Spike. And so you can create robots, and there's like a little hub that you plug in, and you can like code, and, and you can create cool stuff. But you have to have the literal building blocks, right? We, we can't create out of nothing. Everything that we do is analogical, right? It, it's, it's, um, it's related to how God does it, but God is distinctly different. We create not from nothing. We, we kind of order things. Even, even moms who, who make babies, they, the baby, and, and ask a mom, she'll know, it came from her body. She had to eat more. She had to drink more. She gave something of herself to this little, little child. Kids in the room, your mom has given something for you. Listen and pay attention. But it's different. It's distinctly different. God creates from nothing. So we have the time when, in the beginning, we have who God, the triune God, and we have what he creates the heavens and the earth. Why does this matter for you and me? There are a number of implications that I could draw, but I'm just going to give you five. Five implications, and then we will be done. Um, first of all, since God existed before creation, he is the only thing that is absolutely independent. Since God existed before creation, he is the only being that is absolutely independent. Now, we are in America, and we love our independence. We have Independence Day. We have all our independent individual rights, and I'm thankful for those things. I'm, I'm thankful to live where I am, to, to have the privilege of, of participating in life as a citizen of the United States, but I'm, I'm dependent. I am not independent. If I stop eating food, after a while, I will die. If I stop drinking water, I will die. If I stop breathing, I will die. If I am cut off from a relationship, I may be in danger of dying. Are you, are you aware that you can live and if you're cut off from a relationship? That was one of the, the big things during COVID is that people were so isolated that their physical reality, their bodies, they experienced pain. Their, their minds experienced suffering because we are not independent. We're not meant to be independent. I mean, think about the way that life happens. Two people have to come together in a marriage. They create a little, little person. And if you've ever met a baby, they're super cute, but very, very dependent. There's, there's not a whole lot that they can do on their own except make a mess and be loud. And that doesn't change for years. I'm just kidding. All of creation is dependent, and, and Colossians goes so far in that same text that I read a moment ago, it, it goes so far as to say that, that it is being sustained. In, in speaking of Jesus, he says, and he holds, I'm sorry, he is before all things, like he's over all things, and in Jesus, all things, what, hold together. You know what's crazy is your existence, as, as important as it is to you, Jesus could just stop thinking about you and you would just be gone. Your, uh, your rebellion, your anger, 
Your disobedience is empowered by the God who sustains you. So as you are shaking your fist against God, either explicitly or implicitly, God is sustaining your ability to do so. We are so dependent, and God is independent. Implication number two, as creator, God has authority over all creation. That means that how you and I live is not based, or it's not, it's not up to us. Again, I hate to break it to you. You are not, you're not the one who calls the shots in your life. I feel like the older we get, the, we, we have this kind of like arc where it's like, I'm dependent. No, I'm independent. I'm independent. I'm 20s, 30s, I'm independent. Then, then somewhere around here, we realize, oh, no. <laughs> I am not in charge. I want to be in charge. And then life does this, and you get older, and you're like, I am so dependent on a lot of the people. I am not in charge. To the point that, that Jesus tells Peter how he's going to die, and he says that people are going to, they're going to bring you a place where you don't want to go. He had very little authority over his own life. But what this means, family, is that if God has something to say about some aspect of your life, you have a responsibility to obey him. If you're in this room and you, you've not trusted in God, in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're living a life where you're trying to be independent, it's like a child trying to run away from home and needing to use the parent's food and clothes and money in order to do it. We all live under the authority. There's so many reasons why we ought to be reading this Bible, but one is because you're under the authority of this word of God. And, and ask a police officer, ignorance is not an excuse. Oh, I, I didn't know, officer. I didn't know that was the speed limit. I'm so sorry. Like that, that doesn't cut it. Am I right? Ask Theo afterwards. Maybe it does cut it in Virginia. We'll see. No, it doesn't cut it. Your, your knowledge of a law does not validate or invalidate that law. Your knowledge of God's authority does not validate or invalidate his authority over your life. The fact of the matter is he is in authority over your life and my life. We've all failed to obey him, and that is sin. And because we're guilty, we all deserve punishment. And this is why this story matters, because if in the beginning God, then if we've disobeyed that God, then we need to respond to that God. And, and it's, it's, we'll get to that. Implication number three. First one was, since God exists before creation, he's the only one that's absolutely independent. Second one is, is as God, or sorry, as creator, God has authority over all creation. And this third one, as the creator who creates from nothing, God not only has authority, but power over creation. Authority speaks of what you ought to be able to do. Power speaks of what you can do. And our God can do whatever he pleases. There's nothing that falls out of his sovereign will and that there's nothing in your life that is out of his control. There are many things in your life that are out of your control. And some of you are painfully aware of that fact. You've got children, you've got teenagers, you've got people out of the house, you've got bosses who are just terrible, you've got spouses who are spouses, and you realize, 
at one level or another, or another that, that, that you are not in control. And, and I want to tell you, family, we're going to get there, but it is good that our God is creator because that means that he is in control. There is someone who is at the wheel. I remember being in probably one of my first major wrecks. I wasn't driving. I was just there. I was in, in it for the ride, quite literally. And it, it's interesting when you get in a wreck, or at least for me, and I've heard about this from other people, uh, everything kind of turns into like slow motion. And I wish that I could do that in real life, but it only happens when there's nothing you can do about it. You're just, I get to watch this happen slowly. Okay. And we were going, we were entering, it was in North Carolina, I think we we're entering Route 40, and so we're on a turn, like a, you know, an entrance ramp, and one of the tires bursts, and I just remember just thinking, well, this is kind of cool, because I heard the squealing, and I was a teenager, and I was like, neat. <laughs> but then there was a point at which I was like, not neat. <laughs> and I'm turning, and we bang and hit the, the rail. Um, and I was not in control. I was fine. Everyone was fine. The car was not fine, but all the people were fine. I was, there was nothing, there was literally nothing I could have done in that moment. Not only did I not have the power, I didn't have the ability to slow things down and even think about what to do. Had I could thought of what I could do, there was nothing that I could do to stop this car from doing what it was doing. There was nothing I could do to protect myself. There was nothing that I could do apart from what was already externally doing the protection. Right? I had a seatbelt on. I was in a big car with steel and, and airbags and stuff. And so there were things that could protect me. But even I couldn't protect myself. I was not in control. We are not in control. But God is. Exactly. And... So implication number four, these first three have kind of been like heavy hitting, but I just want us to take a moment and, and, and breathe. What an amazing God to have created such an amazing creation. What an amazing God to have created such an amazing creation. I was, I was driving, we've been really enjoying driving down Route 7 if you head west it's mountains, it's, it's trees, it's reds and, and greens and oranges and yellows, and it's, it's glorious. You know, there's one place in, in Berryville as you're traveling west where you can see the Shenandoah Valley Mountains and, or the, the Blue Ridge Mountains, and, and sometimes you see the, the mountains, and then you see just clouds just hanging out. They're like high-fiving the mountains, and then it's clear blue. It's amazing. And that's just one small, you know, patch of, of awesomeness in creation. You go to the coast and you see the ocean and you just look out and you're like, can I see England? No. <laughs> I can't. The horizon bends. And you see all these crazy animals. Have you, have you seen a newborn baby? I mean, that's a different kind of crazy awesome. You see this little thing that wasn't in the world and now is, and tiny fingers and the tiny fingernails, tiny little baby bottom. Just everything is so small. And yet there are things that it knows how to do. It finds a finger to suck on real quick, and you know, it has the 
startle reflex. Dads, you can look that up. Uh, <laughs> have you ever seen a jellyfish? They're weird. I mean, there's just, like, if I'm creating, I'm not thinking to myself, you know what? I wonder what would happen if we just made a bag out of jelly, put some weird tentacles on that thing, and let it, you know, just spark people. <laughs> like, it's, it's weird. And that's not even, the, the ocean is weird. That's a whole other thing. The ocean is a weird place. There's like one fish called a blobfish that looks like Bob. Or was it Leroy? Leroy was here? Anyways, I'm getting off point. But that's like five things that I mentioned that are pretty astonishing. I haven't even talked about astronomy or physics, stars. Like the fact that, that we live on a tiny, tiny earth while billions and billions and billions of miles away, there are stars that are just doing their thing with no no relationship to us, no interest in us. They wake up on Monday and they're like, I'm being an awesome star. And they, they exist. And, and sometimes we think of our, like nothing exists outside of Northern Virginia and D.C. when I have to go to work. Nothing exists outside of that. All the while, there are people on the other side of the world living their lives thinking the same thing. All the while, there are little beetles just being beetles and thinking, I'm a beetle. We're going to do beetle things. And all of this, God created. And he didn't labor over it. He wasn't like, oh, what do I do here? I'm kind of running out of ideas. No, he's a fountain of creativity. This is our God. You know, philosophers used to talk in terms of like truth and, and beauty and the good. Those are three categories. What is good, what is truthful, and what is beautiful. And, and sometimes we, we miss that category of goodness, but there's an intrinsic value to beauty. And God is a beautiful, awesome God. Finally, one last implication. This independent, amazing, authoritative, and powerful God does not need us. Right? We said he's independent. There's nothing that he's, oh man, I really hope that they like me. He's not dependent. He's in relationship, but that does not mean that he depends upon this relationship. And yet, he seeks us. I mean, just step back. We have the words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Those are words that we have. Because he wanted not just to create creation, but he wanted to tell us the story of creation. He condescended to us to tell us about himself. God showed us that he wants to know us most explicitly in sending his son, the image of the invisible God. And he wanted us to know him so much so that he sends his son, Jesus Christ, whom the Bible says is the image of the Father. Do you want to know the Father? Do you want to know God? Know his son. Do you want to know the character and nature of God the Father? Know his son. Jesus came to show us the Father and to deal with the issue of sin in your life and my life. As I said, we are dependent and we, are, we don't have authority in our lives, and yet we live life as independent and under our own authority. Like Those are great ways of thinking about your sin. You want to live not under God's authority and not dependent upon him. 
Jesus came to show us the Father and to deal with that sin issue. He became a man and has lived under the authority of his Father. He has submitted to the power of God. He has trusted in his Father, in his human dependence. Not in his divinity, but in his humanity, he depended upon his Father. And he bore the sins of sinners like you and me on the cross. God is both the God of beginnings and he is the God of new beginnings in Christ. How big is your God? Do you worship a God of creation? Do you worship this God of creation? Or do you worship a lesser God of your own creation? Do you, do you, who do you serve? And maybe you might be thinking, I, I serve God. Well, who, who do you need? What do you need in order to be okay? Because if there's something that you need apart from food, water, shelter, that you, I have to have this or I'm not going to be okay, it's possible that you're worshiping something that is created rather than the creator. What relationship do you need? Not do you want, not do you, you know, it hurts your feelings when things aren't going well. Those are natural, appropriate responses. But when we say, I need this and I can't live without it, we've, we've said, you know what, God, you're small and, and this individual or this thing is big. But the Bible says that he is big. He's big enough for your problems. He's big enough for your sin. He's big enough for your future. He's big enough to to cast a vision for your life that, that is everything you were intended to be. If you worship a God that is lesser than this God, I invite you today to turn away from that God and say, God, show me how great you are. Do you want to, do you want to stop sinning in a particular area? Don't just say, I'm not going to do this, but say, God, show me how awesome you are. Do you struggle with anger and unforgiveness? Look at how gracious and patient and forgiving our God is despite our own wickedness. Are you afraid of the future? Are you worried about things that you can't control? Look at the God who has authority and control over all creation. We have the privilege of knowing the God who created the heavens and the earth. And I pray that we would be encouraged and that our eyes will be open to see how great he is. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would open my eyes to see how great you are. And God, I thank you that that greatness is not just in, defined in terms of power, but it's, it's defined in terms of your graciousness, of your mercy, of your kindness, of your love. Lord, I pray that as we consider your greatness, that it would be, it would be the, the soil from which uh, our love for you would grow, our appreciation, our astonishment of you would grow. And seeing you as a great and mighty God would be something that stirs our soul, that wakes us up, that brings warmth and life because you're a good God. You're a great God. You're a worthy God. 
Lord, bless this people, I pray. I pray that we would see and appreciate how great you are. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, family.